Well, good evening. Y'all can clap for worship if you want to. I mean, we are going to be doing it forever, so you might as well get used to it, right? Well, welcome everybody. Those of you here in our room and online, we're blessed to be here with you guys and uh, just to be able to continue through our study of 1 Peter. Now, I know we've uh, spent a few studies here in the end of 1 Peter 3, and you might be saying, you know, when are we going to get to 1 Peter 4? Uh, next time. We got one more study here in 1 Peter 3, because tonight we're going to be talking about baptism, what baptism is, what it does, what it accomplishes, and why we do it, why we observe it in the church. You know, baptism is an important ordinance of the church. An ordinance means a regularly observed religious rite or ritual. In our church, we have two ordinances that we celebrate together. One is communion and the other is baptism. But for some, especially new believers and oftentimes non-believers, they might go, why? Like, what's the deal with this baptism thing, right? You know, they might go by the pool back before COVID when we were able to meet at the parks for our baptisms. People would come by and they'd see a group of people standing around a pool and maybe there's one or two or a handful of people inside the pool and half of those people seem to be dunking the other ones under the water. And what's up with that, right? You might be in another country somewhere or you know, in the, have the chance to go to Israel and baptize in the Jordan. And those that don't know what it's all about, it could seem like an odd practice, you know, kind of strange. You know, we, we dunked each other in the pool when we were kids, but you know, what are the adults doing, right? And they're not really jumping around, they're just dunking each other and then letting them go. To make matters even more difficult, the Christian world, the Christian church doesn't even agree on how baptism should function, who should baptize, how much water to use, when to baptize. Across all the different Christian traditions, there's uh, generally one of three methods that are typically practiced in baptism. One of the ways is called immersion, which is where someone is completely immersed into the water, under the water, and then brought back up in baptism. The second way that it's observed is called effusion, where water is actually poured over the top of somebody in baptism. And then you have aspersion, which is where water is just sprinkled onto a person. Now, it's interesting. I read a story today of a little boy who wanted to baptize his cat by full immersion. And he got the bathtub ready, you know, Got the whole thing ready, lit a couple candles, right? He was just like, you know, I've seen this, and, and I'm going to baptize my cat. So he's filling the bathtub while he's holding his cat in his arm, and as the bathtub was filling up, some water splashed, sprinkled onto the cat, right? And if you've ever had cats, you know what most cats do when they get the slightest bit of water on them, right? They freak out like it's the end of the world. They run. This little boy's cat bolted out of the bathroom, ran down the hallway, and the little boy said, fine, be a Methodist, see if I care. <laughs> now, I have nothing against Methodists, right? But sadly, sometimes the body of Christ can, can get that way regarding baptism, right? Oh, you do it that way, something's wrong with you, you know? Um, so tonight, we're going to look at baptism. I want to look at it scripturally. I want to use 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 as our springboard to see what it is and why we do it. Now, as we've been looking at this section of 1 Peter for the last couple of Bible studies, we've been looking at this encouraging passage, right? This interesting passage, this difficult passage at the end of 1 Peter chapter 3. And the whole passage is verses 18 through 22. And Peter has been writing to suffering people who have been going through great difficulty in their lives. And so in this section, he writes about Jesus Christ, who suffered greatly himself. But the encouragement in that was look, even though he went through great suffering, look at how great a benefit came through that, right? And he was writing that as a general encouragement to people when you're suffering, if you're God's child, know that God knows. And that, and that if God is, well, if it's happening, God is allowing it to happen. And so, so pray that God would, would reveal to you the purpose and the plan and the why through that suffering. But, but hang on to that, that fact that God is in control and God knows and God is allowing this. So he's going to take me through it to get you through that suffering. But right in the middle of that section, we get verse 21 and he says this, 1 Peter 3, 21, baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you. 
not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a few things said in this verse that I want to deal with tonight, and one is that baptism corresponds to our past, all right? In other translations, it says baptism um, is an antitype, right? And if you've been a Bible student for any amount of time, you'll, you'll, you will have heard pastors and teachers talk about types, right? You go into the Old Testament and you see types of Christ, right? Uh, people in situations that happen that speak of who Christ was and what he did. There's types. And so when you hear this phrase um, corresponding or anti-type, it's, it's saying that baptism is a, is, a, is a type that corresponds to something else. We'll talk about that in a moment. I also want to look at how baptism recalls a principle, how baptism reveals power in and for our lives, and really to come to an understanding biblically and scripturally of what this is saying about baptism. Because some, sometimes people take this verse and conclude that it says something it doesn't say at all, and we'll deal with that later. But the reason it's important to understand what baptism is is so that we can observe it, and the reason it's important that we observe it is because it's something that the church is commanded to do. We're commanded to observe the, the ordinance of baptism. We're commanded to do this as a part of our religious practice. Jesus said to his own disciples in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And ever since Jesus spoke those words, people have been dunking people in rivers, in streams, swimming pools, jacuzzis, bathtubs, baptismals, oceans. Why? Because Jesus told his disciples to, who then taught and educated other disciples to do the same thing, and so on and so on down through history. Now, there's been many notable baptisms over the course of history. Obviously, if you go into Acts chapter 2, you'll see on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were baptized in one day. And then in 404 AD, you have John Chrysostom. 3,000 soldiers were baptized on Easter in Constantinople. In 430 AD, you had Patrick of Ireland, who many of you might know as St. Patrick. He was a real man. Baptized the king and the king's son and 12,000 men with him. In modern times, you have back in the early days of the Jesus People Movement, the early genesis of what came to be known worldwide as Calvary Chapel. Um, it was said that in those early days of the hippies getting saved and coming to Christ, that in Calvary Chapel at Costa Mesa, there was 500 people baptized every month for two years straight. Pretty amazing, right? It's a revival I want to see again and something I'm praying for, and I don't think there's any reason why it can't happen. And on and on and on, baptisms. Why? Because Jesus said to do it, Right? Now, as I said, some erroneously teach that this verse, what this verse is teaching is a thing called baptismal regeneration, which is simply they say that it's the act of baptism that saves you, not your confession of faith in Jesus. It's the act of baptism. If you don't actually get dunked in the water, you can say, I believe in Jesus all you want, but you're not saved. You do not have salvation. That's baptismal regeneration, and we'll deal with that later because that's completely wrong. So let's, uh, let's take apart this verse and unravel the, the mystery of baptism. But before that, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much. Lord, we, we just love you. We adore you, God. Help us, Lord, tonight to understand this, this, this thing called baptism, Lord, that we would understand what it is, what it means, why we do it, God, why you commanded it to be done. Lord, why we observe it in the church. Because, God, it is a very important part of our faith journey. Lord, it is not to be taken lightly. And so help us to understand what it is and what it isn't, Lord, so that we don't draw any wrong conclusions of what your scripture is teaching about this very important thing that we are called to do as Christians. And so, Lord, speak to us tonight. Bless us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us understanding, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing I wanted to point out is, is, is baptism relates to the past, okay? Um, the past event that Peter relates baptism to here in 1 Peter chapter 3 is the flood of Noah. And so if you'll back up with me in chapter 3 to verse 20, just to get a little bit of context of verse 21, Peter writes that God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. 
Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that word corresponds is the important word there. That's in the CSB. It says corresponds. As I said, in other translations, it said now there is an antitype. Okay, so you might have that. But what that word antitype or corresponds means is, is formed after the pattern of something else. Okay, or it's related to, or it's, um, it could be a copy of, right? And so there's two things here that correspond or relate to each other in, re- in regards to baptism. These two things that correspond to each other are the floodwaters of Noah and the baptismal water of the believer, all right? Those are the two things that are corresponding together as Peter is writing. Now, that word correspond doesn't mean that the two things are identical in all aspects. That's not what corresponds mean. So when you're looking at the floodwaters of Noah and the waters of baptism, obviously the, quant- the quantity of water doesn't correspond, right? You know, when you get baptized, it's not a worldwide flood that comes upon you. How the water is applied also doesn't correspond because although we're using the floodwaters of Noah as a type of baptism, Noah didn't even get wet. He was inside the ark. Neither did his family. But the idea is this, is just as Noah and his family were placed inside the ark, a safety capsule that protected them from the floodwaters of judgment, so too we are placed in Christ through salvation, who is the ark of safety which protects us from the judgment that is coming upon those who aren't in the ark. That's the idea here. So then you had Noah in the ark being a figure or a type or corresponding to the believer being in Christ, okay? So in baptism, when we practice baptism, When we immerse a person in water, is how we do it at Hosanna, that is a type that corresponds to, that is a figure of being immersed into the waters of judgment. But for the believer, the person who is in Christ, the person who's in in the ark, the judgment doesn't take you. The judgment has no hold on you, and so you come up out of the water in baptism just as Noah came out of the flood safe, saved because he was in the ark. And we as believers are saved through our salvation because we are in Christ. And so baptism refers to that moment, that salvation moment with, when through our faith in Christ we receive salvation. It's a type. The baptismal waters is a picture of that same thing, that as Noah was saved in the ark through the judgment, we are saved in Christ from the judgment. Make sense? Baptism not only relates to the past, but it also recalls a principle. A principle. So when we get baptized, it's to recall a principle. You see, when you hear the word baptism in the world today, um, most people might immediately think of some religious ritual, right? Before I was saved and I heard baptism, I thought, oh, that's a thing they do in churches. The word baptism or baptismal is related to, or at least in the mindset of people, related to some type of thing that Christians do in church. But the word baptism, the original Greek word that is used here, baptizo, simply means to dip, dunk, or drown. That's what the word means. To dip, dunk, or drown. It simply means to be immersed into something. Now, that something could be anything. But that's all the word baptize that we have here, the Greek word that is used means, to be immersed into something. The word itself in the Greek was never a religious word at first. It was a secular Greek word. And it was used in this way, like for example, Aristotle, he once wrote about Phoenicians that sailed beyond the rock of Gibraltar. And in his writings, he said this, they came to the inhabited land, a seacoast full of seaweed, that when the tide comes in, it is wholly baptized. Now, is he saying that, 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 that the inhabited land, the seacoast, is saved? No, he's just talking about the seacoast is immersed when the tide comes in, all right? So it was a common Greek word, no religious connotation there. So this Greek word baptizo simply means to be dipped into or immersed into something. And the Bible itself uses this Greek word in different ways to refer to being immersed in different things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, 
Paul, speaking of Israel, says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, if you go back and you read that section in Corinthians, he's talking about how the the children of Israel were completely, totally immersed into the experience of the wilderness. Same word. Luke 12, 50, Jesus speaking of his own crucifixion says this, but I have a baptism to undergo and how it consumes me until it is finished. What was he saying? Is that he was gonna be totally immersed into pain and death. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And I believe it's referring there that that salvation itself, being saved itself is a baptism because when we get saved, we are then immersed into one group, one community, one family, the body of Christ. Same word, baptism, baptizo. John the Baptist, he spoke of three baptisms. In Luke chapter three, verse 16, he said this. John answered them all and said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming and I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's three baptisms mentioned there. Water, Holy Spirit, and fire. But the point is, is that word baptize in all those instances is this same Greek word that simply means to be immersed into something. Immersed into a substance, immersed into an experience, immersed into a relationship. So how did this secular Greek word that simply meant to be immersed into something um, turn into a religious word referring to spiritual things? Well, it wasn't Christians that did that. It was actually uh, Jewish people, the Jewish culture that did that. You see, in the Jewish culture, if a Gentile person, if a non-Jewish person wanted to become Jewish, they wanted to convert to Judaism and become a Jew by their connection to Judaism, they had to go through three requirements. Three requirements. One, they had to go through intensive instruction by one of the scribes in the law and all the Jewish customs. If they were male, they had to get circumcised. And then they had to go through a full immersion in water or a baptism, all right? Now this baptism of the Gentile as a part of their conversion to become Jewish symbolized the Gentile leaving the pagan world and coming into a whole new life, a whole new identity, a whole new community. They were leaving their old life and coming into a new covenant relationship with God as one of his covenant people and it was called a baptism. Now, Jews also used baptisms, the whole idea of going and getting immersed in the water as a spiritual rite, to ritually cleanse themselves before entering in the temple. Because in the Jewish law, there was all these very particular laws that that you had to be clean, ceremonial clean, and just clean in every way before you were able to go into the temple, before you were able to go in and worship God. And so they had these pits, so they, they, they had dug out of the rock all over the place. Because you might be going about your business and, oh no, something happened that made me ritually unclean. Boop, baptized, boop, I'm good. And it was a part of the culture. In the Jewish law, it says if you touched a dead body or a dead body touched you, you were unclean. You had to get baptized to be ritually cleansed. Ladies, it said that if your monthly bleeding had just recently taken place, you had to get ritually cleansed before you can come into the temple and worship. And so in the Jewish culture, you had this idea that if a Gentile wanted to convert and become a Jew, to convert to Judaism, or a Jewish individual needed ritual purification for whatever reason, then you got baptized. So the next question is if this secular Greek word that simply means to be immersed was, was used by Jewish people to describe their baptism, especially in conversion or in cleansing, how did it become a Christian thing? Why do we observe it here in the church? Well, if you open up the New Testament, one of the first things you're gonna read about in the New Testament is a crazy hippie in the desert who ate bugs. And his name was John the Baptist. Now, that doesn't mean he was a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, Okay, his name should better be John the Baptizer because he baptized people, all right? He was out there in the Jordan River dunking people all the time. 
But the problem with what he was doing is he was dunking Jews, not Gentiles. He was a Jewish man out there baptizing Jews. And it wasn't just a ritual cleansing. And so the Jewish leaders one day went out there and they're like, whoa, 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 bro, what is up with this? Like, who are you to tell us we need to get baptized? Like, we're Jews. You know, baptism is all about the outsiders becoming insiders. Why, John the Baptist, are you telling us, Jews, that we need to get baptized? They said, we're, we're children of Abraham. And John the Baptist said, look, so what, your descendants of Abraham? Who cares? God can raise up the rocks to be children of Abraham if he wants to. He said, look, the Messiah is coming, and you need to get ready. You need to repent, and you need to get ready for his coming. And he said, this baptism that I'm baptizing, this isn't a ritual cleansing. This is a baptism for repentance. So for a Jew to get baptized by John the Baptist... Since baptism, as far as the Jews were concerned, was for outsiders to become insiders. Jews would essentially have to admit that although they may be religious, this is what he was saying to these religious leaders. Look, you need to admit, although you may be religious, you may be sincere. When it comes to your relationship with God, you're an outsider. You're an outsider who needs to repent of your sin And the very concept of being religious and following my religious dogma and thinking if I follow all these rules, that's going to make me acceptable to God, you need to leave that aside. Because there's nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. And that's the principle that baptism recalls. This is what John the Baptist established in his baptism. This is and was The only way to demonstrate your salvation. Baptism is, and, 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 and the only way you're saved is through Christ. Not through any efforts of your own. Not through any religious rites, religious observation, religious dogmas. So Jewish people, look, you need to get baptized for repentance because you need to know that you're sinners. And the Messiah is coming, and it is only him that can save you. And so that principle is what John the Baptist set up, and that principle is what what the church then adopted as we then made baptism an ordinance of the church. We get baptized as a part of that recognition of of what God has done, that he is the reason we're saved, not because of anything we have done. Baptism also reveals power. It's a power that, that, that isn't ours, It's a power that's outside of us. It's a power that gives us new life. And the power that gives us new life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he rose from the dead, he conquered death. He defeated death. And so when Jesus comes to us and says, look, I can give you new life. I can give you new identity. I can give you new community. I can give you new family. He can prove, he proves that he can do that by his resurrection. And his resurrection is the power that defeated death, and that power is demonstrated in our lives through baptism. Again, look at verse 21. He said, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of the dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So just to hear it again, let's take out the parenthetical there. Baptism, which corresponds to this, saves you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying there. Peter doesn't want his readers thinking that the act of going down into the water is what saves you. He doesn't say baptism, which corresponds to this, saves you through the physical water that you dunk yourself in. He says through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the parenthetical there. Not as the removal of the dirt from the body, Meaning, look, it's not about the physical water. It's not about the physical water touching your body. It's not about the physical water cleansing you in any way, but instead about what it represents. And he says, the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Now, that word pledge there means a binding commitment to do something or to refrain refrain from something. So let's go back to the type that this is referring to. 
When Noah and his family walked into the ark, guess what they did? Guess what they were doing? They were saying goodbye to their old life. The old life, the world, its system, everything that it was about, which incidentally was evil all the time. They were saying goodbye to that. They said yes to the ark. They walked into the protection, the safety. And what happened to the old life? What happened to the old world? It was drowned in judgment. It was done away with. It was gone. They walked into the ark and they said goodbye to the old life and they said hello to their new one. And when we do baptism, we're saying this is what has happened in my life. We're saying that I've made a commitment to follow Christ and deny my old life. When we come to Christ, we leave our old life behind and we become in Christ. The Bible tells us just as Noah was in the ark and we start a brand new life. And this new life that we start when we get saved, this new life, it's a life that is enabled to live and obey God by the power of his resurrection. That's why him being resurrected is so key. It's so important. It gives us the ability to live that new life because he lived the new life. He died and he was risen from the dead. When we truly believe that our old life is dead, when we truly believe and embrace that our old nature has died, and when we truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead, And because we've put our faith in him, we're saved, we then have a good conscience before God. When we trust in Christ for salvation, that results in us having a good conscience before God. What's the picture there? You stand before God Almighty, and he goes, are you guilty? And you go, nope. Why? Because I've put my faith in Jesus who died and rose from the dead. And your word, God, said that by my faith in him, I am put in Christ. His righteousness is attributed to me. So I'm safe from judgment. I'm protected from judgment. I'm forgiven from, for all sin. That's the concept here. That good conscience means our conscience is clear because we know we've been forgiven by God. We know that we're safe from judgment because we are in Christ. You know, I've had moments in my past, but it has been a very long time in my personal life that I've ever thought about whether or not I'm going to heaven. That I've had to struggle with or think about whether or not I'm going to hell. I simply don't think about those things anymore because I'm absolutely confident where I'm going. I have absolute confidence that I am saved because my faith is in Jesus Christ. I'm not worried about the judgment to come on this earth because I won't be here for it. Now, I am worried about those who aren't saved yet and the judgment that's going to come upon them. And that should drive our hearts to evangelize and to share our faith. But I don't, I don't wake up every day and go, oh, no, I hope I'm saved today. I wonder if I'm going to go to hell. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And if you're a Christian, neither do you. Now, incidentally, because... This is about having a, a, a good conscience, knowing what Jesus has done in your life and knowing what God has done in your salvation. And when you get baptized, you're proclaiming that. The, because it's all about that, that's one of the reasons why we here at Calvary Chapel and Hosanna, we don't baptize infants. Because infants can't possibly go, oh yes, you know, I understand that Jesus is God and he died on the cross for me and, and I've put my faith in him and I've received him. Babies can't do that. So we don't baptize infants. We do baby dedications, which is wonderful, right? To to bring the babies up and to say, you know, parents are like, we want to dedicate our baby to the Lord, that they would just love the Lord and serve the Lord. Yeah, we do that. We pray for them, but we don't baptize infants. And then when it comes to baptizing kids, we kind of take that case by case, you know? Because sometimes there's a really young kid and you go, hey, do you you understand? And they get it. And you're like, boop. Right? But sometimes parents want their young kids, you know, two-year-old, three-year-old, whatever, and they're excited and they want to get them baptized. And you, you talk to the kid and the kid has no concept 
of salvation or sin or Jesus or anything. And, and in those instances, we, we will let the parent know, you know, hey, just don't think baptism is, is appropriate right now for your child because they, they can't have a good conscience about, about their salvation. They have no idea what salvation is. But the reality is that the only baptism that saves is a dry baptism, not a wet baptism, okay? Being baptized in Christ, being fully immersed in Christ, that is what saves us. The water baptism simply symbolizes what we've done, symbolizes what's happened to us. It's a type. So then that might lead someone to the question of, well, then do you have to be baptized to be saved? No. You do have to be saved to be baptized, however. Just like communion, Paul has very strong words, paraphrasing, if you're not saved, don't you dare partake of communion. This is not for you. Well, in a similar way. If you're not saved, all you're doing is getting wet. <laughs> it's not symbolizing anything for you. And so we baptize and we do so in obedience to God to publicly proclaim what God has done for us. Mark chapter 16, verse 16 says this, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Now notice the order there. It's belief and then baptism. But some look at Mark 16, 16 and go, ah, look. It says right there, it's belief and baptism to be saved. This is why it's important to read the rest of the verse. Because if you go on in the very same verse, it goes, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. How do you remain condemned? By not believing. It doesn't say, but whoever does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. That is not what that says there. There's a salvation, then there's a profession of faith in baptism, a profession of what has done. And so why does he even use baptism there in Mark 16, 16? Because baptism follows faith. It's an important step in the believer's life. You believe, and then you publicly identify with Christ and proclaim what God has done in your life. And on top of this, there are many, many circumstances that might preclude someone from getting baptized, right? I mean, think about it. Someone's on their deathbed. Maybe they're on oxygen tanks, and they're hooked up to all the machines and everything. And they're like, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. You know, do you go in there, and you're like, oh, darn it, Sorry. We can't get you to a pool or a bathtub. You can't be saved. You're going to hell. Should have done it sooner. Is that what you say? Not even, no, that's ridiculous. You have the thief on the cross who said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, did Jesus look over at him and go, bro, I would love to. But there ain't no water around here. The Bethesda pools are way over there. We're nailed to the crosses. We, sorry, you're going to hell. No, what does he say? Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Salvation is about faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone. But I do want to look at Acts chapter 238 real quick because this is kind of the holy grail for those who insist that the physical act of baptism Baptism is what saves your soul. I want to address this real quick because people often use 1 Peter 3.21 and they go, see, right there. Incidentally, I just wanted to touch on this real quick and talk about people who can't get to baptisms and stuff. Um, the world of technology, I love it. You know, and there was this, there's this online world, I forget what it's called now, um, but it's this, it's this online community and, People like log in and make avatars and, and you really just do whatever, whatever you want there. You build houses, you do stuff, right? And, and there's been ministries who have said, we're gonna go plant a church in this virtual world. <laughs> and people are like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You know? People used to say drums are the devil. So get over it, okay? <laughs> um, but I watched this video, and there was a guy who, who had a friend who was a quadriplegic, and he was bedridden, and he was stuck in bed. 
And this guy had, had led his friend to the Lord and his friend wanted to get baptized, but there was like no way. There was no way to get him to any type of baptismal situation. Um, and so inside this virtual world, this, this church that got planted there, they were like, hey, we're going to do a baptism. And so they, they actually created a virtual, like they create the virtual sets, right? And it was like this just really nice kind of church area with a pool in the middle. And so the guys logged on and the quadriplegic guy had to control his avatar with a little breathing tube and was able to, in the virtual world with the headset on, walk into the church, walk into the pool. The pastor who was there had his avatar with him and he's like, all right, man. And you know, talk to him about baptism and what it means. And, that, and, and, and the guy's friends had all logged in and there was this crowd of people, virtual avatars around this pool watching. And so he goes through the whole thing and he tells the guy, he's like, all right, man, you know, obviously we're in the virtual world, so just go ahead and dunk yourself down. And this quadriplegia guy just controlled his avatar, made him dunk under the water, dunk back up. Congratulations, man, you've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody was just celebrating and stuff. And, and this quadriplegic was just so excited and so blessed that he was able to take this step. And some people would look at that and go, that's not baptism. What is wrong with you? You know? But back to Acts 2.38. <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And as I said, that verse is the holy grail for churches that want to teach baptism is required for salvation. Um, one of them that's really prominent is the UCC, United Church of Christ. They're all over the world. They heavily, heavily, heavily recruit on college campuses over the years I was doing college ministry here at Hosanna, just every year there were stories of, oh yeah, these guys on my college campus, they have a really slick way of getting to people. They'll just approach you on the college campus and say, hi, how you doing? I'm so-and-so. And would you like to have Bible study? Yeah, sure. Then they rope you into their group and they have their own Bible club. And I've just had so many students over the years that would, that would talk to these people and, and some of them would get, get farther into it than others and, or they would have friends that would get farther into it than others and one of the doctrines that this church would eventually get to is, oh, by the way, you have to be baptized to be saved. You're not saved by just professing Jesus Christ and you have to be baptized by our church because our church is the only true church and aha, there it is, cult. And almost every single time I've ever talked to anybody that's like, baptism is what saves you, I'm like, do you also think your church is the only real church? And you know, more often than not, they think exactly that. And you're like, cult! It's not biblical. But places like that, cults like that, people like that like to use Acts 2.38 as one of their proof texts. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the, for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to tell you why it's not saying that. If you look at the end of the verse there when it says, for the forgiveness of your sins, that word for in the Greek is E-I-S. Is, is the pronunciation, I think. But it's just three letters, E-I-S. That word in the Greek can be rendered in order that, or it could be rendered because of. For example, if I said to you, Nathan is wanted for robbery of a bank. That can mean Nathan is wanted so that we can go rob a bank, or Nathan is wanted because he robbed a bank, right? The word for. Here, that word for means because of. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because of the forgiveness of your sins. Why do I know that's the proper rendering or the meaning of the word here? Because if it meant the other thing, you would have a very difficult time to go through the rest of Scripture and explain away every single other teaching of Scripture about salvation not being based on works. You would have to go back and figure out how to explain all of those. Because salvation is very clear. Salvation is not based on works. It's not based on you doing anything. It's not based on you getting baptized. We are saved by faith alone. 
And so what Acts 2.38 is saying is your sins have been forgiven, and baptism points to that. Baptism proclaims that. A few other spots, just if you want to take notes. Acts chapter 18, verse 8, it says this. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Make note of that, right? Whole household. Paul, writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, says this. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. But didn't it tell us in Acts that Crispus' whole household got saved? And Paul the Apostle's going, I, didn't, I just baptized Crispus and Gaius. And then Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 1.17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom so that the cross of Christ would not be emptied of its effect. If Paul believed that baptism was necessary to save the soul, why on earth would he separate the two there in verse 17? Christ didn't send me to baptize. He sent me to preach the gospel. Why would he separate the two if both were necessary or the one was necessary for salvation? Because if they were both necessary, they would essentially be the same thing. Baptism in the gospel, that's what saves you. If Paul believed that baptism saves you, man, I believe we would have been reading about him lugging a tub with him every single wet place he went. Paul and Timothy and his jacuzzi. Right? So if baptism isn't necessary to be saved, why get baptized? Well, the first reason, and I touched on this in the beginning of the message here, is because Jesus said to. Jesus did it. And it says he did it to fulfill all righteousness. And we don't have time to go into a whole study on that phrase because that's a whole study in and of itself. But Jesus gave us the example. He went to John, and John's like, whoa, dude. <laughs> I'm not worthy to even loose your sandals. And Jesus is like, hey, do this. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them. And if Jesus said to do it, you do it. That's kind of Christianity 101. No, I got to know why. It's because your creator told you to. <laughs> okay? He said to. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my commandments. And that should be enough for us. But I have another reason. It's because when you're baptized, you are publicly identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In baptism, in the way we do baptism here at Hosanna, you are immersed. You are submerged under the water, and that's identifying with the death and the burial, right? Jesus died, and he was buried. He went into the ground, right? It was the full judgment of sin that came upon him and caused his death, and, and, and that's what he did. He died for our sin on the cross. But then in baptism, we, we raise you back out of the water, and that's resurrection, and that's what baptism speaks of. It's the visible speaking of something that has happened in the invisible world. Romans 6 says this. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. When you get baptized, you are making it personal. You are making it personal. You're not just saying Jesus died for sins. You're saying he died for my sin. You're not just saying he, he died for humanity. You're saying he died in my place. And so I'm dead to the old stuff. It's symbolic, yes, but symbolism is powerful. We know that. That's why countries fly flags. 
That's why militaries put patches on stuff. That's why, I mean, symbolism is so important. Think of the wedding ring, right? The wedding ring. Those of you that are married, you have a wedding ring on. Why? Well, a ring represents the commitment that you made to another. It represents the vow you made to another. It represents that on a particular day in the past, your life changed. That on a particular day in the past, something different happened. You became a different person. You're no longer single. You are now joined to another in holy matrimony. You're joined to your spouse. And a ring represents that. And when you look at that ring today, weeks, months, years after that moment when your life changed in marriage, it reminds you of all that that you said on that day. It reminded you of that commitment. It reminded you of the vows. It symbolizes all of that. And in those future times, that ring can be the very thing that, that helps you say no to temptation when it comes across your path, can it? The devil's throwing whatever at you to tempt you. And you might do this, right? That little nervous thing, and you look down and you're like, that's not who I am anymore. Baptism is just like that. It's a symbol, but it's a powerful symbol. And when we do baptisms, we always share that, that this day, you know, you were saved at some point, but this day serves to be a, a part of making all of that just, just even more personal in your life. You can say, you know what? That, that, that day I got baptized, that day I publicly professed, that day I stood before my brothers and sisters in the body and went under the water and came back up and I professed to everybody that, that Satan is no longer my master. Jesus is my master. That the old me is dead, the new me is alive. I did that, and everybody saw it. So that when the devil comes knocking and says, hey, want to go back to the bar? Want to call up that ex? Want to do that thing you know you shouldn't be doing? And you go, no, and the devil's like, come on, bro. What is the female version of bro? bro, right? Yeah. I was just thinking. I'm like, I'm singling out just the guys. Come on, people. We used to do it all the time. Let's go. Come on, come on. And you go, no, 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 because I'm saved. I'm, I'm a Christian. And you know what? That day I got baptized, I, I proclaimed this to the world of what Jesus has done in my life. And so, no, I'm saying no to you. you you're not in control of me anymore. Baptism is just like that. It rep represents a day that your life was changed. Your eternal destiny was changed. And just like a wedding ring, it proclaims to the whole world that you now belong to someone. You're off the market to sin. You are not available anymore. You belong to God. And so baptisms, being baptized, celebrating with those getting baptized, it's, it's, it's an amazing, uh, substantial, important opportunity to do that, and in the past, you know, here at Hosanna, um, way back in the beginning, we've done baptisms at Mother's Beach, and then for the last, gosh, decade or so, we would do them over at Thompson Park, and then of course, you know, COVID hit and shut down parks and shut down everything, and, um, and, and I just, the park was always great, time of barbecue and fellowship and all this stuff, and then we'd have the baptism. Um, but yeah, COVID hit, and we really haven't had a congregational baptism since. Sure, we've done a whole bunch of secret ones. Shh. Don't tell Newsome, he'll get upset. Um, but even before COVID shut it all down, you know, for many reasons, you know, both good and bad, um, as the years went on, less and less of the body was able to, to show up at the park and to celebrate that moment with those that were getting baptized. And so, as I mentioned at the beginning of this year, um, we want to resume doing baptisms, obviously. Um, parks may be opened again, but now that they're charging ridiculous amounts of money for them, we're like, well, what can we do differently? And so we're going to do it a little bit differently than we've done in the past. And so what we're going to be doing moving forward is, is I'd like to make baptism, that moment, that celebration, a part of our worship services here in our sanctuary on Sunday morning. 
And so what we're going to be doing is setting up a, a portable baptismal over here and, and, and trying to, you know, if you want to get baptized, let us know ahead of time. We'll take sign-ups and stuff so we know who's getting baptized. And, and then on Sunday morning, and as a part of our celebration, our service, our coming together to, to worship God and to praise him and to hear his word proclaimed and taught, we're also going to corporately as the body of Christ celebrate with those that are getting baptized. And so we have uh, some logistics to work out with that still, you know, putting all that together. So um, I'm, I'm very excited to just tell you guys on Sunday morning, June 5th, will be our first baptism service here in our sanctuary. And uh, I'm just very excited to resume that again. And then now that we're going to have our own stuff here, uh, we don't have to wait on the park. <laughs> we could just do them as the Lord's leading. And so, um, so with that being said, you know, just pray for us and pray for that. And, and I pray that, that, that the understanding of what baptism is uh, ministers to you, you know. And if you've been baptized, I pray that this was just a reminder to you. I pray that some of that stuff dealing with baptism is, is how we get saved would, might help you in conversations with people who believe that, that erroneous and, I think, harmful doctrine. Um, but if you've given your life to Christ here at Hosanna or, or elsewhere, and you haven't been baptized yet, you've, you've never done that yet, um, I want you to know that on June 5th, we're going to have an opportunity here to do that. And so uh, please call the office here in the next week or so. We'll have a, a form in our app and on our website where you can go sign up and say, I've, I've, I've given my life to Christ and I want to get baptized. And we're going to, as a church, celebrate that with you. If you're online and local and you want to come and get baptized, please do so. Um, unfortunately, if you're out of California, I can't really fly out to you to do that. We'll figure something out. So um, uh, maybe we'll do it in the virtual world. <laughs> Who knows? But, um, but I am just so blessed and excited to, to resume this very important ordinance of the church with you, the church, here at Hosanna. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much. And we're so excited, God, to, to just celebrate those things that, 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 that are you working in our lives, Lord. And, and God, we, we have two big ones that we're called to do as the church to celebrate, baptism and communion, Lord. And God, we, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to do that, Lord, here at Hosanna, Lord, to, to celebrate those very important ordinances, God. Lord, it is not a light thing. It is not a, a small thing when someone is getting publicly baptized. And so those of us that are baptized and have been, God, we have such a great and huge opportunity and a, just a real privilege to be a part of, of the public that those people getting baptized are, are proclaiming to, God. And so we're excited to resume that again and, and then start moving forward with that in June, God. And so, Lord, bless that, Lord. For those that have given their life to Jesus Christ, um, and have not yet be baptized, Lord. I pray, God, you would move on their heart to take this very important step of obedience, that they would, would receive everything that baptism is, God. Not to be saved, because they know they are saved. But, God, that public profession would, would personalize in, in a very real way, God, what has happened. That they would be able to even point to that day of baptism, Lord, just like pointing to that wedding ring and say, no, you know, I'm not that old person anymore. I don't have to do what the devil says. I belong to Jesus Christ. And so, God, we're excited about that, Lord. We ask that you would just do a mighty work in that as we move towards that. And, Lord, just that we would see many get saved, many get baptized, and to see our world and our communities changed for Jesus Christ. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.